put together by a ministry called Open Doors, one of the many ministries that we support internationally. Open Doors estimates that 11 Christians a day are killed for their faith in Christ. 11 Christians a day, on average, worldwide, are killed for their faith in Christ in places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, places where we're not, they're not able to freely worship Jesus. It, it was interesting, uh, a couple of months ago during our Burger Bash, and the Burger Bash is kind of the end of year uh, celebration for the men's Bible studies that we have. At our Burger Bash, our very own Sean May, who is a deacon in our church, shared his personal testimony of what it was like to grow up as a, a Christian in Saudi Arabia. He shared with us that in Saudi Arabia, you're not able to purchase a Bible. The only copies of the Bible that they were able to obtain were from military personnel who gave them copies of the Bible. They weren't able to gather in a beautiful sanctuary like this where they have a beautiful stained glass window of Jesus. No, they had to meet in homes and they had to rotate homes so that the Saudi officials would not become suspicious. Yes, in the midst of his talk, Sean May shared with us that as Christians, we won the geographical lottery when we were born in the United States. Now, I know that Jesus was not an American, but I am so grateful that I live in a country where we are protected by the First Amendment to gather for, for religious celebration. We, we can know for certain that we won't be persecuted because our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, secures that freedom to gather in religious assembly of Almighty God today. But not every Christian around the world is so free. In fact, Open Doors estimates that 245 million Christians in the world today are persecuted every year. That means one in nine Christians are persecuted around the globe. So what are we to do? How can we as Americans help make a difference and, and help our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing persecution as a daily reality? Well, if you looked at our Grow magazine, you know that we have every year as a part of celebrating what God has been doing, you can see in the, the very last section, we, we offer a, a, a glimpse, a picture of what our, how we commit our resources, our financial resources to the work of God's kingdom. And the number one, one of the number one things we support is the persecuted church. Every year we give $10,000 to ministries like Open Doors and to ministries like Samaritan Purse as they try to help the persecuted church around the world. But what else should we do? Yes, we can give our money, but what else should we do? To find out what we should do every day to help the persecuted church, I would encourage you to open your Red Pew Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. It may be found on page 1254 of your Red Pew Bible. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his Holy Spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as he pray. Gracious and loving God, we, we hear this video and we realize that we are so blessed here in this country that we can gather together publicly in assembly and, and not fear persecution. But we know that it's not true for everyone. Brothers and sisters in Christ around the world have to meet in the cover of darkness to gather around your word to hear you speak. Well, God, in light of that reality, I pray that you might speak even more clearly to us today, that we might hear in such a way that it would penetrate our hearts, that our hearts might be transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. 
O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, listen to the word of the Lord. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear with him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. What a wonderful, powerful way to to end a letter. Remember my chains. Paul wants to make sure the The Colossians are mindful of the fact that even though he's been writing a word of encouragement to them, trying to encourage them to to stand strong in the faith, his circumstances aren't so great. Remember my chains. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we know we've been taking a journey through Colossians where Paul is encouraging the church in Colossae to to stand firm in the faith that they first had in in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul did not start the church in Colossae. In fact, we know that Epaphras, who was one of his missionary companions, he was responsible for helping start that church. But Epaphras has come and visited Paul while Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's been telling him all about the church in Colossae, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
And Paul is encouraged in, to, to write a letter to the church in Colossae to, to let them know that they should cling to Christ, who is the preeminent one, that they are, through their faith in Christ, they are now united with Christ, and, and he is their hope of glory, that they shouldn't be turned astray by the false philosophies that, that try to emphasize what you should eat or what you should drink or, or try to teach them to worship angels. They shouldn't pay attention to those false teachings, but rather they should stay focused on Christ and their relationship with Christ. And as followers of Christ, as those who are united with Christ, they're called to put off the old self, the old ways of living. They're they're called to put away any sexual immorality among them. They should not have anger or malice. They should forgive one another as they have been forgiven in Christ. And as Dan pointed out a couple of weeks ago with this very large shoe, if you were here for that sermon, uh, we are called to put on Christ, to put on the the ways of Christ, that we are called to to live in humility and, and mercy and peace and And most importantly, to put on love, which binds everything together in in perfect harmony. And as we put on Christ, that we should allow the words of Christ to dwell in us richly as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord. Yes, through these practices, our union with Christ will grow and we will be strengthened in the faith so that we walk in the new ways of Christ. Notice in verse 16 of our text, Paul points out, that this letter that he's written to the Colossians should not only be read by them, but that it should be shared with the Laodiceans. Because the Apostle Paul knows that as he's writing these words of encouragement to the church in Colossians, that he has a word from the Lord. This isn't just his own writings. These just aren't his own thoughts. These are thoughts that the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write, to encourage not only the church in Colossae, but the church in Laodicea, and I believe the church in Amarillo, Texas today. Yes, these are timeless words, words that are to help us walk more faithfully with Christ today. And then Paul ends this powerful word of encouragement, this powerful letter of exhortation with these words. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Now, Paul did not want the Colossians to forget his current circumstances. It was Paul's habit that he would often dictate his letters, and and as he would dictate his letters, someone else would write what he had to say, the thoughts that were coming to him from the Holy Spirit. But at the very end of this letter, Paul takes the pen himself with his hands in chains and signs his own name, remember my chains. Paul does not want the church in Colossae to forget his own circumstances, that even though he offers them a word of encouragement, his circumstances are looking pretty bleak for he is in a Roman prison cell without much hope. That's why Paul encourages them in verses two and four of our text. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The Greek word for steadfastly here in verse two is actually in the second plural imperative. It is literally a command in the original Greek. In fact, the New American Standard Version of the Bible and the NIV in order to capture the nuance of this word translates this word, devote yourselves to prayer. He is encouraging them, challenging them, commanding them to devote themselves to prayer, to to remain steadfast in prayer for him and, and all of the work of God's kingdom. But what is prayer exactly? 
Well, prayer, as we know, is simply a a conversation we have with God as we pour our hearts out to God. And God is able to use prayer prayer to transform us, equip us, and prayer helps us become an instrument of God's grace. Could you say that with me? Prayer transforms us, equips us, and helps us become an instrument of God's grace. In your bulletin this morning, you may have noticed that we've kind of changed the affirmation of faith from our normal use of the Apostles' Creed, and we, I've decided to have us uh, read from the Westminster What a great definition of prayer. I want to take that definition and look at it just a little bit closely. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ. Now, where did the earliest reformers come up with this definition of prayer exactly? We need to know that the earliest reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin were committed to the authority of Scripture. They believed that as the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And one of the cries of the Reformation was sola scriptura, that scripture was going to be our authority in faith and life. It wasn't the Pope, it wasn't the church, it was the word of God that has been inspired by his Holy Spirit that we find in the Old and New Testaments today. Their commitment to the authority of scripture continues into the second generation of the Reformers that we find in the 17th century who helped write the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the Reformed Catechisms, whether it be the Heidelberg Catechism or the Westminster Catechism, were all written in order to help teach the faith, to help teach what the Bible already says. They didn't come up with new ideas. They basically wanted to to teach the faith of Christ. And so they answer questions about things like prayer and and salvation and and, and how we are saved and and what it means to, to, to come to the Lord's table and how we are to pray and lots of great definitions. And every one of these answers has multiple scriptural references to help cross-reference, to help explain how do we come up with this answer. And two of the cross-references of question 98 in the Shorter Catechism is John 16, verse 23, and 1 John 5, verse 14. Now, in John 16, verse 23, we read this. Jesus is, is instructing, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So does that mean that if we ask in God's name for a new bicycle or a new Lamborghini in the name of Jesus, then God is obligated to give it to us? Is God some kind of vending machine that if I just give the right payment, then God's bound to give it back to me? It actually reminds me of the story of the little girl named Joyce who wrote this note to God. Uh, she was asking God for a puppy, but she got a little baby brother and said, instead, it says, Thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. She didn't get what she wanted, did she? No, we don't always get exactly what we ask for in prayer. God is not a a vending machine who is required to to give us exactly what we ask of him if we simply ask for it in his name. No, we know from the rest of Scripture that to ask for something in the name of Jesus is to ask for it according to his will, according to do it in his ways. We see this more clearly stated in the second reference to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. 
John the Apostle seems to be telling us that if we ask according to the will of God, then God will certainly hear us and, and he will answer his prayers. So, so how are we to know the will of God exactly? By reading this, the words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, as we begin to, to read God's word, as we meditate on the word of God, as Paul instructs us to do in Colossians uh, chapter 3, you know, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As we allow the word of Christ, the words that we find in Scripture to dwell in us richly, it begins to transform our will. And as we begin to, to pray the will of God as, as it's revealed to us in Scripture, well, then our will begins to, well, begins to conform to, to God's will. And as we read the word of God and we allow it to, to meditate on it, we see that ultimately God's will is for our good because we serve a very loving God. We find this in one of the most quoted scriptures of all time, John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, God is, is, was moved by love to, to send his one and only son here to this earth to, to live in perfect obedience to him and then to do for us what we can never do for ourselves by dying as the perfect sacrifice on a cross. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the, the gift of a new life, the gift of eternal life if we simply believe in him. This as we read through the scriptures, we'll see it time and time again, our God is motivated by his love for us. And so we realize that, yes, what we want is we want God's will to be done, for our God is a loving God, and his will is the best thing for us. This as we pray the word of God, our will is transformed to his will, so that ultimately we want his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. His prayer transforms us and it equips us to do God's will. As we go through the scriptures and as we're praying God's will and specifically as we see Jesus instructing us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Now, I know that praying for those who persecute us to, to love our enemies is very counterintuitive, but if we will dutifully do so, if we'll begin to pray for our enemies and, and pray for those who hurt us, well, then we'll be reminded that that's exactly what Jesus did. From the Gospel of Luke chapter 23, we read that while Jesus was hanging on the cross with some of his final words on the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is as we dutifully try to pray the word of God and pray the will of God, we will find that God will equip us to become more forgiving people. For we will realize how much God has forgiven us. And as we realize how much God has forgiven us, we realize how much we need to forgive others. For God has not just forgiven us seven times, but seven times 70. God has forgiven us infinite numbers of times. So, so how much more should we be willing to forgive those who have offended us? His prayer not only transforms us, it equips us to do the will of God. It equips us to become more forgiving people. And ultimately, prayer helps us become instruments of God's amazing grace. Yes, anyone who's familiar with uh, the great movement, the Billy Graham Crusades of the latter half of the 20th century know that before any crusade ever happened, before they ever came to any town or city or, or country, they encouraged and exhorted every church to be praying for that crusade. 
People would gather for months and months in advance to, to pray that God would move in the hearts of citizens to, to hear the word of God. They would pray diligently that, 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 that Billy Graham would once again have the words to speak in such a way that, that the hearts would be penetrated, to, to be transformed by the word of God. In fact, Billy Graham was once asked, what are the key steps to a successful evangelism campaign? And Billy Graham said, prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Yes, if we want lives to be changed and transformed by the, the good news of the gospel, we need to pray that God would, would till the soil of those hearts, that God would give us the words to speak. That's why Paul encourages the church in Colossae to remember him and, and to pray that, that God may open a door for him to, to spread the word of God, to declare the mystery of, of Christ and on which account he has been imprisoned. Yes, Billy Graham was, was actually born as a Presbyterian. He married a Presbyterian, so he knew very well that conversion is ultimately a work of God. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that, that gives us the words to speak. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that gives us ears to hear so that our hearts are open to the good news of God's love. If you're not... The most we can do is is pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Prayer transforms us. Prayer equips us and helps us become an instrument of God's grace as we cry out to God for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God uses our prayers to to open the hearts of others, to open their eyes so they might be transformed with the good news of Christ. This morning, we want to spend some intentional time praying for our brothers and sisters. We do not want to forget their chains. We want to remember the chains of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted around the world. And specifically, you may have noticed that inside of your bulletin this morning, there's a, a prayer force. Open Doors offers a monthly prayer journal. We would encourage you in the month of August to be praying through that each and every day for different countries where the, where the uh, church is being persecuted. But also, we have seven missionaries Seven of our missionaries who serve in countries or minister to people who are being actively persecuted in the world today. And so we're going to spend some time. I've invited seven people to, to help lead us in this concert of prayer as we pour our hearts out to God, asking for revival, asking that, to, to strengthen our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, praying that the eyes of their oppressors may be opened, and ultimately praying that revival might happen around the world. Please join me as we pray this morning. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul that instruct us to devote ourselves to prayer, to pray steadfastly, to remember his chains. So Lord, we confess to you that we are often forgetful and not mindful and aware of how our brothers and sisters around the world are being persecuted. God, we thank you that we live in a country that is home of the free because of the brave, that we are able to gather openly and worship you, able to carry our Bibles to church and not fear persecution. Lord, we know that we are secure in you and that we are able to freely worship you. We know, though, that's not true for everyone. So God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe who are being persecuted. Lord, we pray that you would give them strength, encouragement, steadfastness, Lord. We also pray, Lord, for their oppressors, Lord, that they would repent, that their eyes would be opened, that they would be transformed, and that they would no longer oppress 
those who worship you, but rather they would join you in praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.